0: If you have a Bible, please open up to Acts chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. I think we'll have it on on the screen this morning. Also, you have a pew Bible in front of you or under you. It's on page 927. We're going to continue studying the book of Acts and looking at the life of Paul. Now, we live in a world full of um, of dreams and aspirations. We watch movies or we watch documentaries about famous inventors who with just one one idea could change the world, right? They wrote one book and they became famous or they were in the right place at the right time and now all of a sudden they are heroes. From one moment they are unheard of and in one moment then they are trending on Twitter. This is our world and we think if we want to impact the world with our lives, with our city, then we need to have a new idea, a new invention, a new deal, a new breakthrough and then change will finally happen. But... As we're going to see this morning in Acts 18, biblically, true change and true impact and maturity usually happens over time in small, ordinary ways. In the New Testament, we see that lives were changed through the weekly gathering of Christians together. They would read the bible hear a sermon they would break bread they would sing they would pray and guess what they would do it over and over and over again they would serve each other they would love one another they would take care of each other day by day and then guess what happened as time multiplies the gospel spreads and almost is built brick by brick and all of a sudden cities and communities and nations and the world is impacted by jesus And we're going to see this in Acts 18, and at first glance, this is a pretty ordinary story. And that's what I love about it. God does big things through things that we find ordinary and mundane. So I want to read the first 23 verses of Acts 18, and then we're going to see a couple actions and examples that we as a local church should emulate. Acts 18, 1 through 23. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crimes, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refused to be a judge of these things, and he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. And after this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centurie, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he says, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending time there, he departed and went from one place to the next, to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. That is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, help us store up your word in our heart this morning. Spirit, help us. Amen. The majority of the passage we just read notes much of the activity of Paul in the city of Corinth. The first 18 verses that we read are about Corinth and Paul's ministry there, and it covers over a year and a half of time. And then it ends with him traveling to other places like Caesarea and Antioch, but here the book of Acts begins to focus more on long-term ministry. In a few weeks, when we get to chapter 19, Paul's going to arrive one more time in Ephesus and will spend around three years with the church in Ephesus. So no longer is Paul kind of jumping into cities, evangelizing, building a church, and moving on quickly. Now he's beginning to invest his life into cities and churches. And what do we see when that happens? When Paul comes in and plants churches and disciples them and invests his life into them, what happens? Cities become changed by the gospel. We see Jews and Greeks, people from all backgrounds coming face to face with Jesus. You have murderers and idol worshipers. You have the rich. You have the poor all coming face to face with the gospel being shared and they are saved by Jesus. We see Christians loving each other. We see impact being made. We see people laying down their lives to serve one another and the city and the country and the world sees it and things change. And guess what? The plan that God has for us, for our city, for the Chippewa Valley, for our world to be changed, happens still. And it happens primarily through local churches like this who preach and live out the gospel. And that is the main point of this passage and sermon. The main point is this. Do you want to be a part of Jesus impacting your city and your world? Attach yourself to a gospel-centered church. Do you want to be a part of Jesus impacting your city and world? Attach yourself to a gospel-centered church. If you want to see Chippewa Falls and Eau Claire and Bloomer know Christ, then attach yourself to a church. Do you want to see the world more infiltrated with the person and the kindness and the saving work of Jesus? Do you want to see the nations rejoicing because they've heard the good news? It begins with a local church. It's a local church like us, a a local group of believers who meet in person that I believe God uses to change the world. Now, we as individuals should not be looking for a church to belong to so we get a tax write-off. Right? We're not looking to just join a club or an organization. No, we're looking for a church to be gospel-centered, where we preach Jesus and we love each other like the gospel is actually real. Like people should be able to come into our church at CBC and hopefully they would say, I can feel the gospel here. That's our goal. People walk in, they would feel the grace and the love and the truth of Jesus. They look around and say, these people truly lay down their lives for each other. They love one another. People should be welcomed here because we as a church have been welcomed by Jesus. And that's what the New Testament calls us to do. and That's what our passage calls us to do. There are three things in this passage that a gospel-centered church commits to. Three things that a church that loves the gospel, not only in just talking about it, but actually living it out. These are three things that they do. And the first is this. A gospel-centered church commits to real Christian friendship. Again, this seems like ordinary stuff to a degree. But a local church should be a place filled with real Christian friendship. Friendships, and this may not seem super prominent in our text here, but it's there. In the first few verses, it says, Paul left Athens, he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul met this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, when he came to Corinth. Now, most likely, Paul didn't know any other Christians in Corinth, and yet, by the providence of God, he met these two. And because they had the same job as Paul, they kind of connected, and Paul was a, you know, he was a missionary, a church punter, but he still had to have his own salary, so he was a tent maker. He built tents out of leather, and he sold them, and so did Priscilla and Aquila, and they were doing this together, and they realized, oh, you're a Christian, we're a Christian, and they invited Paul to come into their house with them. Because at one point, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, were living in Rome, but they were cast out because the king didn't want them there. The Roman Empire saw Jews and Christians as the same thing, and there was too much drama going on, so he kicked them out. So here's this friend, these couple coming to Corinth. They begin to work, and they meet Paul, and this creates a lifelong friendship. And I know that because if you read the rest of the New Testament, you're going to see Paul referring to Priscilla and Aquila so many times. In 1 Corinthians 16 and in 2 Timothy 4, he says, Priscilla and Aquila are friends of mine. Give them my blessing. But in Romans 16, 3, listen to this. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ who risked their necks for my life. Such close friends that they risk their lives for Paul that's what friends do now tent making is maybe what introduced them together but it's the church that they founded together in Corinth is what kept them together it's what bonded them and we're going to see this again later he brings them with him to Ephesus and they help him plant the Ephesian church so when you read your bible the book of Ephesians or the book of 1st or 2nd Corinthians that book exists because Paul had Priscilla and Aquila to help plant that church They did the work of ministry together, and Paul called them his co-laborers in the ministry. Paul needed friends. He needed friends to care for him, friends who needed to care for him in the hardship of church planting and pastoring. He needed friends to work with him and help spread the gospel um, and disciple believers. He needed someone to come shoulder to shoulder with him to know him. And they may have shared the same job of tent making, but it's their faith in Jesus that solidified their friendship. And a local church, like CBBC, should be a place of real Christian friends. Now, we have friends that we work with, or we live next to. We went to college with them, we grew up with them, and those are real friendships. Keep them, they are a blessing from the Lord. And another blessing from the Lord is to have real, authentic friends. Christian friendship in your local church men and women who come shoulder to shoulder with you willing to risk their lives for you to do the work of the ministry together now we may not cheer for the same team today we may not work together we may live in different towns in the Chippewa Valley we may not have the same hobbies but we have the same Lord and the same church Our Lord Jesus said to his disciples, he said to his friends in John 15, he says, I call you my friends. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And he said in John 15, no greater love than this is to lay down your life for your friends. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you are a friend of Jesus. He has called you friend. And that's not just a title. That is your identity. When God looks at you, he sees you as a friend. Despite all the mess, despite all the times you've rejected him and resisted him and gone back on your word, because you're in Jesus, you are a friend of God. He's welcomed you into his life and into his home. And what are the benefits of being friends with Jesus? You experience his perfect divine love. He cares for you. He served you. He serves you now. He finds you delightful. He prays for you even now at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus finds joy in you. And the local church, right here, what we're doing right now is a place where the friends of Jesus gather together, where we praise Jesus, we lift him up, and this should be a place that offers the friendship of Jesus to one another. We get to love one another. We get to care for each other and pray for each other and serve each other. We get to walk around this morning shaking hands, introducing ourselves to each other, and delighting in one another as Christ has delighted in us. When I befriend you, even if we have next to nothing in common, we have Jesus in common, and that is more than enough for me to delight in you. And we live in one of the most disconnected eras of, the, of history. We can FaceTime our friends from different countries. We can see someone's Facebook post, and we can like it, and yet we are so relationally empty these days. We think we have many friends because Facebook tells us so, and yet it's all a facade. But here in this place, at this location, we get to befriend each other. We get to come together as a group of people who live the rest of the week, maybe apart, but we get to come together, rallying around Jesus, finding each other interesting and fun. CBBC, we should be a place that's willing to risk our necks for one another, and a place that is known by its joy-filled belly laughter at times. We should be a place of real Christian friendship, a place where you can lay your, put, kind of let your hair down and lay your life down and know you will be received with gladness. Maybe you have those friends who you know that when you go over to their house, that you're going to have fun, that you can sit back and you can relax and not face any judgment, that you don't have to perform, that you don't have to clean up your house when they're on the way. Because you are that close that you know even your uncleanliness is not going to distract them from your friendship. But in that moment, you can sit with them and rest and relax and laugh. And that's what I mean. At CDBC, we can be that church full of relationships and friendships, so full and so warm, so that when we face trouble, we have no question that there are people for us who are going to delight in us. So when your spouse dies or your parents die, your funeral should be full because all of us friends are here for you. Your fridge will be full because we are going to care enough for you to make sure you eat You should know that you are being prayed for because we are your friends and we are bonded in Christ. Is that not attractive to you? And the world can't offer that. CVBC should be a place of real, deep Christian friendship. Not surface level, not hobby driven, but Christ driven. So we come to this place where we communicate every time we see each other. We communicate the love of Jesus to each other through words, through actions, through our demeanor. This means that even this morning, you can seek each other out. You can walk up to a group of people. You can walk up to someone that you don't even know, and you can ask yourself the question, how can I show this person that they matter to Jesus and they matter to me? Think about how much your life would change if you sought someone out with that mentality. You matter to Jesus and you matter to me and that's what we are called if we if we read the rest of the bible together Romans or 1 Corinthians or Ephesians any new testament letter you're going to see what we call the one another's of scripture if you look through the commandments Love one another, forgive one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another. We can't do those things if we sit back and just blend into the crowd and get out of here as soon as possible. Or if we never call someone from church or never get together. We can only be obedient to Jesus if we step up and live out these one another's together in relationships. God has given us one another in the church to to befriend and to delight in. Just how Paul had Priscilla and Aquila for his entire Christian life. I think I speak on behalf of everyone here that we want this place to be a place of friendship and belonging. Where we join with Christ in His gospel work and we do it together. That's what a gospel-centered church does offers spiritual, real friendship. But secondly, a gospel-centered church commits to safety and refuge. Safety and refuge. We see here Paul, in the beginning, finds himself in some trouble. He's preaching to Jews, and they reject him in verse 6. And they're so stubborn in their rejection of him that Paul feels like he could do nothing else to get it through their head, So he symbolizes this rejection by shaking his robe, saying, I am done, my conscience is clean, I've done everything I could for you. And then we see in verse 12 that these Jews were so upset at Paul that they brought him before a Roman politician to try to punish him. Thankfully, the Roman politician did not. But these Jews were so angry and so aggressive towards Paul that they then beat another man in place of Paul. But in verses 6 to 11, we said in the midst of his life being threatened, his spirituality being rejected, Paul found refuge in a church. Look at verse 6. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man. Named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. And his house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. In the midst of trouble and opposition, Paul found safety and refuge in two things. One of them is really obvious. Verse 9, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He says, I have people in this city who are going to protect you. Now, I believe one of these people was that Roman politician who said Paul was innocent. But also, we know that in this um, household that he went to were other Christians who took care of Paul, like Priscilla and Aquila. God uses the people of God to comfort and protect his Christians. He finds relief and comfort in other Christians. That's the first way he found safety and security. But the second one is the one I want us to consider this morning. It's found in verse 7. After Paul's rejected by the Jews, what does he do? He went. To the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, his house was next to the synagogue. Seems like just a, a bare fact there. But the synagogue was the place of Jewish worship, the place where Paul was speaking to the Jews about Christ, the place where they were so stubbornly, aggressively rejecting him. And what did he do after he was done with this? He went to the house next door to that place. If you face a hostile crowd, where are you running to? 30 feet next door? You're running out of the city. But what does Paul do? He knows there's a brother in Christ right next to the place where there was the violent mob, and he goes in there. A brother in Christ was secure and safe for Paul. He was just mere feet from the hostile synagogue, but he was in the presence of a Christian. And more Christians came to this house, more people believed, more were baptized and discipled. And Paul stayed with these Christians for a year and a half. And church history tells us that most likely this place, this house next to synagogue, was the church of Corinth. This is where the church began to gather. Paul found refuge and safety in the church. By turning from the trouble of the world into the church, he found comfort. God wants local churches, bodies of believers like this, to be a place of safety and refuge for the broken, the hurting, the abused, the sinners, the outcasts. Now, we're not trying to avoid the world out there. We're not trying to build up our own little bunker to where no one can come in. But we are called to build a community of safety and refuge for those who are hurt in this world to give them some of that bunker experience. The problem is that sometimes our churches, even ours, can produce hurt and not feel like a place of safety. But we are called to be better than that. Christ called us to be a place that offers truth and grace and compassion and transforming power of the gospel to those hurting, to those who are lost, to those seeking. I watched a World War II movie a while ago in an intense scene of Gunfire and grenades, but the one place where there was a sense of relief and safety was the trench that they dug. They got in this trench together, shoulder to shoulder with their companies, their brothers right there together, and they found temporary relief from the gunfire outside. For Paul, that trench, that bunker was a church, was Christian community. The gunfire and the war of life and the circumstances of hardship. We're going on, but there's safety and there's refuge found in a church. Because brother and sister, you are going to face depression. Or financial stress, or a breakup, or a loss of a child, or a loss of a spouse. You will be fired, you will be mocked, you will be opposed. And I pray that CVBC is a place that you cannot wait to run to that no matter what problems arise up in your life, that you want to run to this gathering, come through these doors and see your family. I think I speak for all the members here at CBC that we want CVBC to, to be a place of safety when you're hurting, that if you need prayer, you run to us. If you need wisdom in the midst of a confusing or hard situation, that you would run to your family. If you need to feel The warmth of god's love because you feel like god is mad at you or he's distant or he's not there we pray you run to us so you can feel the warmth of god's love through us because we are nothing but a gathering of hurt and imperfect people but when we come together in the name of jesus we can give each other the refuge and safety that we found ourselves in jesus And we want to be a place of refuge and safety for sinners, for those aware of their distance from God and his word. We welcome you in the power of the gospel, not to endorse your sin, but to lift your eyes to the saving work of Jesus and give you the sweet medicine of his kindness and his forgiveness. And we welcome sinners here. Why? Because we have been sinners and we've been welcomed by Jesus. He was crucified for our sins. He bore the penalty of our resistance. He resurrected conquering sin and death. And if you are not a friend of God, then he's offering you that friendship where you can come into this body, that eternal life where you will feel the warmth of God's love. In church, when we gather together and we leave and go our separate ways this week, we are displaying Jesus. That means by how we act, how we speak, how we treat each other, how we treat strangers and coworkers. we are treating them on behalf of Jesus and the world, Jesus before the world. So when we welcome sinners into our lives, when we welcome sinners here to the table of God's grace, when we rally around someone who is hurting, we are acting like Jesus, and that is beautiful. If you are hurting, we are here for you. Run to us. And when we see you hurting, we will run to you how Jesus ran to us. Now, practically, this looks like a couple things. It looks like you sharing with someone here that you had a rough week and you need prayer. This looks like you stopping in the office during the week to sit down and talk about what's going on in your life and how we can help you. This looks like a meal train for you so you don't have to cook when you're having chemo treatments every day. This looks like a call or a text of saying, hey, we love and care about you. It looks like this service right now that despite the last week, the last month, the last year and a half, we get to sing out loud to God, but also to each other to remind each other of the comfort of Jesus. This is a place of refuge and safety because that's exactly what Jesus is to us. But third and finally, a gospel-centered church commits to the long term. The long term. Paul taught us through the church he planted in Corinth that Christians and churches are in the long-term business. We're about committing to each other, covenanting to another for the long haul. In verse 11, it says that Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half preaching. In verse 18, it says that Paul stayed many days longer. In verse 23, it says he spent some time there. Now, these might just look like little details about time, but Paul knew as we're going to see the rest of his life that Christian growth is forward-looking, it's maturity, it's commitment to Christ over a long period of time, right? Reading your Bible one day won't make you feel like a mature Christian. Reading your Bible every day for a month, for a year, for a decade, that will bring forth fruit, and you can look back and say, look at what the Spirit has done in my life and has brought me to It's the same with the local church. Paul invested time and years into churches, and this applies to us. We are committed as a church to be committed to each other for the long haul. We're going to keep preaching and living for Jesus until he returns or he calls all of us home. We're on that highway, and we're not going to get off on another exit, okay? That's where we're going. And we're committed to doing that with you until the Lord comes back. So to be even more simple, we have your back until you either die or Christ comes back. Amen. That's why sometimes we talk about belonging to this church is about being a covenanted together. It's declaring that you are committed to the bride of His church and declaring to one another in the church that we are going to continually push each other towards Jesus and allow you to push us towards Jesus for the long haul. We're not just temporarily here for you. As long as you are here, we're committing to you for the long haul. And if you're not here, maybe we'll come get you. Because we want Christ to be more active and more present and more seen in your life for the next decade or the next five decades. And we're asking you to do that for us to, to be used by Christ for us and for us to be used by Christ for you for the next 50 years. And we commit to this, why? Because Christ committed to us for eternity. He's for us for the long haul. He says, I will neither neither leave you nor forsake you. We are his church. We are his body. Can Christ the head be left from the body? He cannot He is permanently pressed upon us and He is committed to us for the long haul. So that means we as the church, as a display of Jesus, need to live that out together. So how do we practically do this? Well, first of all, if you're not an official member of CBBC, come to the class next week. We will give you lunch. But mostly we'll talk about how you can attach yourself to this church to join us on that highway of making Christ known. Talk to me Mike Blake, who we just commissioned as an elder, is going to be leading that. Talk to him. Sign up here in the church lobby. Say, hey, we're going to come together and covenant together for the long haul. And we'll look back in 50 years and see what the Lord's done. But secondly, if we commit to each other for the long haul, that means we get to see each other's growth. And you know how encouraging that is? In five years, I'll say, man, look what the the Lord has done in you. And you can say, man, look what the Lord has done in you. We get to do this together and rejoice in in each other because of spiritual fruit. And then we get to say, I can't wait to see what the Lord does for you the next five years. But I think it's also encouraging to commit to a church for the long haul because you may not know what job you're going to have in a year or ten years. You may not know where your kids are going to go off to. But if you're in the Chippewa Valley, we belong to you and you to us, that we have your back. Yes, even if you slip up, we are yours. We are linked by the blood of Christ. You can come here and tell us of your sin and the things that you've done. And guess what's going to happen after that? We still are going to talk to you and love you and care for you. Why? Because the blood of Christ is stronger than any other connection. The main point said that we can impact the city and the world through a local church. Is that an overstatement? I don't think so. You may think that teaching third grade Sunday school class doesn't amount to much. But what if your teaching and your love for that student is used by God for him to be saved, and then to raise his family in a church, who raised their family in a church, who raised their family in a church, and generation after generation, because of you laying your life down for those third graders. You may not think a small talk conversation in the lobby with someone you don't know amounts to much, but what if that person feels loved by you, and they come back, and they bring someone else, and that person is saved, and the gospel spreads and spreads and spreads? I am preaching here because of a lot of faithful people doing a lot of little things in my life. My parents brought me to church every week and prayed for me. People rocked me in rocking chairs in the church nursery. Couples taught me Sunday school. A youth pastor taught me to read the Bible. A friend did this, a friend did that. And the Lord used all those small, ordinary church things for me to come to ministry. And I know without a doubt That when a church strives for real friendship, for a place of safety, and who commits for the long haul, beautiful, glorious things will happen. And we as a church at CDBC get to be involved in that, and we can live out the gospel to one another right now, to those who come to us, and the Lord is going to make His name famous as a result of that, and that's exactly what we want. This is our calling, church. I pray we do this together. Let's pray. Father, we ask your complete blessing on our church that we will apply these things from this text. That we will feel the warmth of your love in the gospel of Jesus. And that we will seek one another out like we never have before with your love. Jesus, make us unified. Make this church even more beautiful and glorious than it already is. Make us more like Jesus. Lord, it's a privilege to look out and see all these faces of brothers and sisters who love you and love one another. Continue to multiply that. Thank you for your love for us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.